Good morning, Valley Bible Church. Pastor Joe was trying to give me hand signals across the deal. I, I didn't think I was ready to go up yet, but I thought he was saying, go up now, and so that would have been awkward. Uh, if you're wondering where my wife is in the auditorium instead of sitting next to me, <laughs> we don't need counseling or anything like that. Uh, she's actually sitting with her brother Rick and his wife Becky, and um, it's interesting. We, in 1977, um, I moved here. My father was transferred with the Interstate Brands Corporation to Sweetheart Bread here. And so I grew up in Los Angeles, the land of fruits and <laughs> nuts. And suddenly, I was in Billings, and I, I grew up on the beaches of Southern California, pretty much, so I, I had uh, a tan in November here in Billings. That didn't work out real well. And I, it was 1977, so I didn't fit in at all. And I went to West High my first day of classes, and I went to choir on my third period class, and I, I was plopped down in with 60 other kids, and uh, my wife's brother, Rick, was right behind me. So we sang tenor together, and he invited me to their home for dinner that night, and that's when I first met my wife. She was 14, I was a whopping 16, and uh, that's when we met. And uh, we were married 41 years ago in Billings here. And so it's always fun to come back. Her folks live here, and, uh, and it's just great to have them here. My niece, Lisa, and her husband, Brandon, are also with us. And uh, it's just a joy, really, to be with Valley Bible Church. I'd only been here one other time, not to uh, be in the pulpit, but my wife and I were visiting family, and we, uh, we looked around for churches in Billings on a Sunday and found Valley Bible. And so we visited. This was a number of years ago. And so we knew the location. And uh, when Joe told me that he was uh, shepherding down here, I was thrilled to hear it. And such a joy then to be uh, in your midst, Joe. Thank you for inviting me. We have much to talk about this morning in our remaining time. Take your Bibles and look with me at Psalm 128, the 128th Psalm. We're really going to look at two Psalms, but we're going to spend most of our time in the 128th Psalm. When my wife and I were married, we were not believers. We did not know the Lord. We would have professed Christ, of course, because both of us had heard the gospel, her from a Catholic background, me from a Protestant Baptist background, conservative Baptist background. We both knew the gospel, but neither one of us had ever turned from our sin and repented and believed in Jesus Christ and his righteousness alone to cover us or his sacrifice alone to pay for our sin. We'd never done that, and we knew that's what must happen, but we hadn't done it. And so when we were married very, very young, just kids, and started having children, um, we didn't know what to do with family life. We were essentially clueless. We had a few good examples here and there in our family histories, but, but nothing that was going to satisfy a couple of young people who were frightened, really. We were afraid. We didn't know what to do. And then I came to Christ by a series of circumstances, and then about 11 months later, my wife uh, turned from her sin and was redeemed, and so we prayed. 
I remember that night she was saved. We prayed, and one of the things that concerned us greatly was by then we'd had two children, and we were very afraid of what that meant. Families already were being uh, assaulted by the culture. Now, of course, you fast forward to today's landscape, and the assaults are much uh, faster and much more subtle and even more blatant and a very, very difficult time for young families today. We were scared as young parents, and so we prayed, Lord, how are we going to have your blessing upon our family life? I knew what John 15 said, that apart from Christ you can do nothing. I knew that the Lord Jesus Christ had said to the disciples in that same section of Scripture that the Father's will is for you to bear fruit and that the fruit would actually remain. And I kept thinking as an early dad, a young dad, how am I going to bear fruit in my kids' lives that remains? I know we're going to go through trials. I know there's no guarantee that my kids are going to walk with the Lord. I, I know that the blessing of God doesn't mean financial prosperity or even uh, no trials in your life. I knew that. But I did want to know that God's purposes could be fulfilled and I needed to know what the requirements were on my life to see that happen to the degree that he would, would make it happen, to the degree that his purposes would be fulfilled in my life. To say it another way, I wanted to put myself in the place of maximum blessing. And so passages like the one in front of us here in Psalm 128, early on in our marriage became very, very important. If you want to know what's wrong with families today, it is the absence of the blessing of our Creator. It's the absence of it. Sin, you know, we can all say that all of us being sinners, we're going to see the effects of that in our family life. But if you want to place yourself in the place of maximum blessing, and if you've already raised your kids and know your grandparents and you're going to be coming alongside children and grandchildren to help them, you're going to have to know what brings the maximum blessing of God. And this psalm makes it about as simple as it can be. Notice what the psalmist says. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And then, of course, verses 2 and following are the results, the purposes that God has revealed in his heart for families. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you'll be happy, it'll be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And then verses five and six, the final stanza, the Lord bless you from Zion, this is a benediction, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This was a benediction that was intended to speak of the persevering nature of God's blessing, the long-standing uh, distance that God's blessing goes, generational. And so I want to take a look at this psalm, and we want to ask the question, what is required of us, and then what are the privileges that God intends for family life? And then ultimately, how long can it last? Now, one of the most amazing things about this set of psalms in this section is that 
the people of God when they went up to sacrifice, particularly going up to Jerusalem for temple services, they would sing a particular set of psalms, 20 of them, the Psalms of Ascent. I'm sure you've heard that. And this is one of them. And it, it occurs in the Psalter here right after Psalm 127. And so Israel, as they went up to Jerusalem to worship, they and their children would sing. And they would get through the psalms as they ascended to the worship in the great city. And these two psalms are in particular noteworthy because they mention family life. And it's almost as if the 127th Psalm is an explanation of the first verse of Psalm 128. Psalm 128 says, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. But what does it look like to fear the Lord? Well, Psalm 127 is kind of a commentary on the first opening verse of Psalm 128. Go back to verse Go back to the beginning of Psalm 127 for a moment. Solomon writes this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early and to retire late to eat the bread of painful labors when God is the one who has to bring that. That's essentially what he says here. He gives to his beloved even in his sleep, or as some translations have it, he gives to his beloved rest or sleep. Then verse 3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Psalm 127 is kind of a way for the psalmist to prepare you for what he says in verse 1 of Psalm 128. If a father were to sing this and teach it to his children, verse 1 would be the centerpiece of it, and Psalm 127 would remind him where blessing comes from. First of all, let's notice the prerequisite for this blessing upon your house. Verse 1 of Psalm 128, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. That is the first of a two-sided requirement for the blessing of God to live upon our households for generations. Fearing the Lord. It literally just means, as you know, we tried through the centuries to have different ways to explain it, but there are a variety of ways to think about the term used here. I might try to expand it, your thinking a little bit. Sometimes we think of reverence. That is, of course, included in the idea of fearing God in this old Hebrew concept. Being in awe of something, that is also included. Other English equivalents might include things like to venerate someone. We don't use that very often, but it was the idea to uphold with esteem or to admire or to honor or respect. We sometimes use the term adoration. Same idea. That can be included in this term. It seems to me then that one of the one of the ways this term sometimes is translated is, is probably a term that captures it, and that is the idea of worship, to honor in a worship. The Old Testament idea of fear meant to be reverent and afraid to offend. I know that we're in Christ, and I know there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, 
But even 2 Peter reminds us that if God is a judge who's going to destroy the world and the universe the way that he reveals he's going to destroy it, then we ought to conduct ourselves, Peter says, in reverence. So we have a reverence for God, and we should be afraid to offend him. That's the negative side of fearing God. The positive side is wanting to please or an anxiousness to please him. A desire to submit to the object feared. We want to submit to God. That also is included in the idea of fearing him. So this is what it means to fear God. And the psalmist says that the man who reveres God, who adores God, who admires and respects God, who is afraid to offend God and anxious to please God and desires to submit to God, that is the man who has put himself in the place of maximum blessing. That's interesting too. Sometimes people say, my life is blessed by God. And when you find out what they mean by that, uh, sometimes they talk about material prosperity or good circumstances or the lack of trouble. But that isn't really the concept here. The concept here is not all that different from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he speaks those wonderful beatitudes. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. The Old Testament term for blessedness here is very much the same, full of grace, graced. You're graced. God's grace pours out on you when you do these things. I remember as a young dad, I, th- I, I had to think about that a lot. Wow, okay, so my kids will go through difficulties. We as a family will experience trials. I can't expect that there's a guarantee that my kids will walk with the Lord. I want them to. I teach them the truth. I pray for them. They will have to come to a crisis of faith on their own, and I might even have some stray children and grandchildren who don't yet know Jesus Christ, for whom I am still continually praying. That may be the case. But it's also true that blessing in this sense is happy fulfillment in God because you are experiencing his grace. The circumstances aren't the issue. It's the pouring out of God's grace upon your life, both through your witness to your children and your family life, the labor that you, you do, you put your work, you, you put your hands to labor and you do it for the glory of the Lord and grace is infused into your efforts. You give truth to your children and instruct them in the word of God and grace is infused into your efforts. You speak correctiveness and discipline to your family members and grace is infused into the effort. You're strengthened by grace. You're endowed with grace, gifted by grace, covered with grace. That is the term here. How covered in grace is everyone who is afraid to offend our Creator and anxious to please Him and desire to submit to Him. That is the first requirement of the blessing of God on family life. Now, we, we would be remiss if we didn't go back to Psalm 127 now and plug in what is said there about this concept of fearing God. What does it look like for a father of a household to fear God? Well, look at Psalm 127 verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. 
The first sort of a grounding of a man's thinking ought to be this. God alone establishes families. God alone establishes the strength of families. God alone is the one that upholds the families. When I was a young dad, that concept hit me so strongly because when I finally got saved, I, I was really determined to do all I could in my own strength to take care of my brood, to take care of my family. And a man is very much like that. He goes to work and uh, he, he does well at work. He makes good decisions. He makes money. He gets a career going. And sometimes self-reliance is the problem. We start relying on our own strength. And the reminder here is if you're a man who fears God, you remember you can do nothing if God doesn't make it happen, doesn't allow it to happen. Oh, you might have a strong career, strong uh, physical stature. You might have built a long season in your life of family strength and heritage and, and an inheritance to pass on. And, and maybe all of that is looked at by your family as representative of your hard labors. And that's a good thing. Work is a great thing that God gave us to do, even as men. But the reminder here is that you're not establishing your family. You cannot establish your family in your own strength. Only God establishes it. You can build your house if you want, but you're laboring in vain unless the Lord is the one doing it. Notice also, unless the Lord guards the city. Oh, now we're talking about security. I can't even secure my family. I can't even take care of them in the long run. I can't even secure their safety. I remember when my girls were little and they were tiny and they were in bed and they're saying, Daddy, I'm afraid. And the temptation is to say, nothing's going to ever happen to you. But that's not true. Things do happen to children and sometimes terrible things. And sometimes it's just completely out of our personal ability to safeguard them. And so the reminder here is if you're a man who fears the Lord, you understand God alone secures. And God's purposes and his sovereignty and his plans, we make our plans, but he directs the steps. In fact, we're reminded in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him, and he will make our paths straight. He alone provides security. That's what it means to fear God. Notice, God alone supplies for our needs. Verse 2 of Psalm 127, it's vain for you to rise up early and retire late and to eat the bread of painful labors. <laughs> Sometimes those that don't want to work might use that as their life verse. Oh, it's vain to get up and go to work. Boy, have we not had a culture of that right now? Who, nobody wants to work. It's like this is their life verse. <laughs> but it, you got to finish the verse. It's vain to do those things if you don't acknowledge that it is God who gives to his beloved. He's the one who makes it happen. He's the one who gives the increase. Oh, it is true. You know, it's a reminder to us that you can work and work and work and work and work. And the earth still is not going to yield what your labor, your hard labor would want it to yield. And it's a reminder to us as fallen creatures Though now we know in redemption that God supplies for us, you got to remember the fall was cursed. The earth was set to futility by God. Man works by the sweat of his brow and it yields very little, relatively speaking. So when you get all frustrated, how come my 
job doesn't pay what it should pay, and how come my labor is never appreciated and the achievements aren't really racking up? Lord, I try my hardest. I, I spend myself to the bone for my family, and this is the thanks I get. When your heart goes down that road, you have to remember, it is God who gives what he wants to give. And remember, you live in a cursed world. It's not going to yield. Uh, that's for eternity. We will rest when we get to glory, and there will be no limitations when sin is finally dealt with. A man who fears the Lord knows that God supplies for our needs. Don't ever imagine that you are the one making it happen. If you do that, you start to lose the, the fulfillment and grace of God he wants to pour out because he has to come alongside and discipline us for not trusting him and not, uh, not bringing everything to him and saying, if the Lord wills. And then notice in just one more brief look at Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5, God alone gives us the future heritage. Notice, behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. This all comes from God. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Yes, because there's, there's future there that extends past you if God so graces you with children. Blessed and fulfilled and happy and graced is the man whose quiver is full of them. And when they speak with their enemies in the gates, they won't be ashamed. Why? Because when you fear God and you trust the Lord and you consider children a gift, you are acknowledging that God gives the heritage. He gives the legacy. Now, let's pull all of that back into Psalm 128 and let's look at the, the other side of the prerequisite. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. That's the first requirement. And then notice the end of verse 1. How blessed is everyone who also walks in his ways. So listen, you knew that the psalmist was going to get around to the matter of submissiveness to God's will. When I was a dad early on, it, it seemed very clear to me that if I didn't grow in my submissiveness as a man over my family, if I did not grow in my softness toward the will of God, if my heart wasn't becoming more and more pliable, but if I was becoming stiff-necked and stubborn, like Psalm 32 warns us about, then I knew I would be forfeiting some of the grace of God poured out on my children. And so the psalmist says right up front here, if you want the blessing and fulfillment and grace of God in its maximum expression, you must have a soft heart. I'll tell you, there's a level of stubbornness today. It's, it's true of young men who were never taught to submit themselves to the scriptures. There's a stubbornness and a hardness that surely will lead them to destruction. And I see it sometimes in, in sort of the middle ages of life, the, the years where teenage children have been difficult and Marriage has been challenging, and I see a hardness growing in some who, who even don't like the discipline of the Lord to soften them. They don't like it. They challenge it. Pastoral counseling is filled with people who could experience more grace of God poured out on their life instead of, instead of the hard-line discipline that God has to use, which we have to admit isn't in of itself a grace, but they would be much more fulfilled in their heart if they weren't sort of arguing with God as life's difficulties come. And then, beloved, I even see it in senior saints 
see a kind of a stubbornness to the will of God. The psalmist is very clear here. You are blessed and graced when you have a soft heart to the commandments of God, when you walk in his ways. God's commandments. He is building your house. If you want to know if you're in the center of God's will, ask yourself, is my heart soft when the truth is proclaimed? I don't mean we, we don't struggle with it. <laughs> Our flesh is at war with the Spirit of God inside of us. So we will struggle. That's why we come alongside one another. That's why we sit under sound preaching. That, these are the means of grace for God to grow us. We will struggle. But you, what you don't want is a growing pattern of arguing and disputing with what God says in his word. You, you don't want that. Because what will happen is the, the blessing of God upon family life will become full of disciplinary strain from the Lord and your children will begin to see arguing with God's will and a, not a softness but a hardness and they won't know how to deal with it. It will exasperate them. All the while you're putting, you're bringing them to church and putting on their conscience the word of God so their conscience is burdened with truth and yet what they see in dad as the leader is a resistance and a stiff arming of the truth the psalmist here says you don't want that how blessed is the man how fulfilled when he's soft to the commands of God when he's soft to them notice then that if you fear God like that and you strive to, to maintain it in the kindness of God and you put yourself in the place of maximum blessing because you walk in his ways. That means know his commandments. Know his ways. Walk in them. That's the daily course of your life. It isn't perfect, but the direction of your life is a constant striving. When you do that, the psalmist says there will be privileges that begin to trickle down in your home and in your family life. If you are past this point in raising kids and you look back at it and you say, boy, I just, I didn't fear God the way that I should have. You have the wonderful grace and privilege of now becoming passionate about these principles and passing them on to the younger generation in this church who desperately right now need you. You senior saints, it doesn't matter what's behind you. We forget what lies behind. We press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We know there's a trail of mistakes behind us. That is true of all of us. But now you can come to a psalm like this and you could say, oh, these privileges, I didn't experience as much of them as I wanted to, but I know there are families all through this church and I want them to experience those privileges. And so I'm going to come alongside them and I'm going to remind them of the requirements. Fear God, keep a soft heart. And these privileges will flow down. There's nothing sarcastic here. There's nothing that the psalmist is saying that's pie in the sky or unachievable. God will bring this kind of blessing upon the man whose house is filled with the fear of God and who are walking in his ways. Notice the first thing. Work that supplies and satisfies. Work that's, that does supply and satisfies. It may not be what you would like, and the earth is going to struggle to yield it uh, in comparison to your labors. But notice verse 2. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, 
You'll be satisfied and it'll be well with you. Now, when you read that verse, you sometimes think, well, yeah, but that seems circumstantial. That's not his point. His point is it'll be well with you because of your conscience. When you have worked and labored and are now reaping the fruit of your labors, you will be fulfilled on the inside. It will be well with you deep down because you're now passing the truth of God in a consistent way to your family. You work for him. It's for his glory. You fear him. You acknowledge him in all your ways. Your family sees that. Your conscience is clean. Your discernment is sharp. Your children see it. Your wife sees it. Work that supplies and satisfies. Psalm 127, back to that previous psalm, verse 2, he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. If, if that is the accurate translation, then it means this. While the hard worker is resting from a day's labor, God is still supplying. There can be no greater comfort than that. You go to sleep after a hard day's work, and you wake up in the morning, but all night long, God is not asleep. He's supplying, he's moving, he's providentially working, he's setting circumstances in place. He's even setting tomorrow's circumstances in place. And the man who fears God knows it well. He's eating the fruit of his hands, and he's settled. His conscience is clear. All the calamities that could befall you and I every day were it not for the hand of God orchestrating our life and protecting and guiding and leading, directing. That is a comfort to a dad. Even when you're praying for the salvation of your children or you're disciplining them and it just doesn't seem like they're responding, this truth in this verse is so settling. Many times I was by the bedside on my knees weeping for my teenage children who needed to come to see their need for Christ. Many times I was there and this passage just came to my mind by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God is supplying, God is working, God is protecting and preserving, he's directing. He's the one that calculates a day's wage for you and I. We don't need to worry. You know, worry has become kind of a respectable sin, hasn't it? To quote Jerry Bridges' book title. It's kind of become a respectable sin. We worry all the time in a way that Jesus warned us not to. And yet here these psalms say, look, the labor of your hands, the toil in your hard work, you ought to trust that God is giving fruit and bearing fruit even when you're at the end of a hard day's work. Uh, he's calculated what you're going to have earned in it. He is taking care of it, holding it, directing it. Apostle Paul expressed the same thing to Timothy when he said to Timothy in the second epistle, Timothy, I know whom I have believed. I know him whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded. I'm absolutely convinced. I would die for this, Timothy that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. So all my labor, whatever labor was for his glory instead of selfish, he's able to hold it and keep it and preserve it. Like the writer of Hebrews said, God is not, he's not a, a cruel God who doesn't take into account your hard labor. I love that. That's very comforting. So 
So work that supplies and satisfies. Notice, notice the next privilege, companionship that increases your blessing. Your wife, verse three, will be like a fruitful vine within your house. I know this is Hebrew poetry, but the imagery would have been very vivid to Israel. Fruitful vine, that they lived for that. They lived for the time when the, when the fruit of the vine was prolific and extensive and full. They lived for the time in the olive orchards when the trees would be, be producing at massive levels. And that's an industry in and of itself that you, you need that. I was talking with a, a gal this last May. My wife and I were visiting a missionary in Italy and we were staying at an olive tree farm. 4,000 trees on that olive tree farm that they harvest. And I was talking with the gal, the, the wife of the owner of the farm. She is from Nigeria. She's married to an Italian uh, olive farmer. And I was asking her, you know, what happens when, uh, you know, when the weather's bad and things like that? Do olive trees withstand this and that? She said, oh, no, we, they're very sensitive, and we have to really take good care of the orchard. 4,000 trees, that's massive. But, but when it comes in and the supply is full, it, it just lasts and lasts and lasts. We actually, they, they put it in cans there at the orchard and we ordered a bunch of it and shipped it home. Uh, it's unprocessed, it's just right out of the farm. It's, it's as olive oily as it could be. Can I say it like that? It's as, it's as pure uh, a substance as it could be. But they think about it all the time. Oh, are we going to have a good crop? Is it going to be fruitful? That's the imagery that Israel had when the psalmist wrote this about a wife in the house. It conjured up the idea that when a man fears God and the blessing of the grace of God is on the companion of his life, all of Genesis and God's design in creating the woman comes into the house as God has made her to flourish. So every way a companion is the perfect complement to the man's life, every way the, the uniqueness of a woman to nurture the home and nurture the children comes to its fullest expression when a man fears God. Notice here she's fruitful. This is most likely referring to the children as well as other qualities a faithful wife brings to her family. She's fruitful. She, she nurtures in a way that men, men are not made to do. Some women may not bring children into the home, but they produce much fruit by gracing the home with tenderness and feminine care and special attention of the household, which the man cannot afford while he's laboring to provide, nor is he made the same way to bring all those gifts to the household. Now, I know our culture has completely trampled all of that. Our culture is trampling uh, under Satan's influence, all of the design of God, whether it comes to marriage or children or gender, and all of these things are being trampled because Satan is active and our culture is being given to those things. But you young women who are headed into family life, you must know that if you choose a husband who fears God, all of the things God made you to be in the home can flourish at top performance at the way God made them to flourish. So marry a man that fears God and who God's made you in your uniqueness, the nurture of a, of a woman and a mother, the fruitfulness of God making women as women, feminine, the perfect complement to a man, 
the rich insight and wisdom she brings, the intelligence she brings as God's created partner for the man. All of that is in full measure when the man is fearing God. And notice she is useful. It's interesting. She's fruitful within the house, in the inward parts. It doesn't mean the four walls of the house you live in, though everyone has one of those. Uh, it, It means from the inside out, literally. The text is giving us a picture of a wife's main focus from which ministry happens. So everything about her strength, her building a nest for her family, her taking care of her family in the home, her uh, taking care of her husband in that home and working to nurture the family in a way that only women can, from there springs out of that home life influence to other families and other people in the community. Listen, communities are strong where women are flourishing within that unit because from the inside out, God intended for her to spread that blessing even to other homes and to other children. I'll tell you, my mother was that way. We went, my father was saved when I was seven years old, and we suddenly were involved in church life. And my parents' home was just open doors. People came in and out all the time, and there were always younger families. And they came in, and my mother would spend time with them, hours and hours listening to them, sharing with them. I've watched my own wife in 41 years of marriage, women coming in and out of the house with little children, and she's just pouring into them and their house is blessed, and their husband is blessed, and their home life is blessed, and their own children and grandchildren get blessed. It is, it is exactly what God intended, and the guarantee here is that a man who fears the Lord is gonna see some of that. He's gonna see the grace of God poured out on that. Notice a third privilege. Your children become a secure legacy. Your children, verse 3, are like olive plants around your table. Um, Again, Israel's imagery. So just just plug in what the ancient Jewish context would have thought about or the ancient Hebrew context of God's people. The olive orchard and the olive vine was the sustenance of the family. That was their industry. That's how many, if not most, in certain seasons of Israel made their living. And all the family got involved, just like you'd see in vineyards today. All the family got involved. And so what happens to an old olive tree is it sends these sprouts down off the main vine. And you'll notice around old olive trees that are still producing all these new olive shoots that come up. And they become the next generation's fruitfulness for the family and for industry and heritage and economics. And so the image here the psalmist is giving is, look, if you want children to become strength around your table, if you want them to become those that take what you've taught and they begin to flourish, and the joy of your heart to see them become industrious uh, in their lives and fruitful, uh, taking on some of your your, um, likeness in the way they do things and taking on their industry the way you put your hand to the plow, If you want your children to embrace those things because they see you and they love you and they love what you passed on to them, the psalmist says, the man who fears the Lord enjoys that privilege. Your children become stalks 
around your table who begin to take on the strength that you passed on and they begin to pass it on into your grandchildren and on down the line it goes. You know, I think about that. Okay, I've got 17 grandchildren and even some extended uh, family members whose family members are not saved and they've come to Christ and they kind of come into our gang. So we just sort of, they all call us Mimi and Papa and we're all trying to, we're trying to pass the truth even to those extended family members. And I think about that a lot. All of those grandchildren, okay, what do they hear from me? What do they see in me? Do they see a man who fears God, who strives, who is soft to the truth, who's becoming like Christ in my character? Or do they see what some families sometimes see? Uh, some old crotchety person who doesn't want anyone to be around and is just tired and his bones hurt all the time and that's all he can talk about is the next doctor's appointment and on and on it goes. I mean, are, are we being honest here? It's troubling to me that sometimes the least amount of influence comes from the people with the most to say. The seniors. I mean, we should be the ones that our grandchildren look to and they come and hug our neck, not just because we give them cookies and treats. We do that. I'll bribe my grandkids any day of the week, for sure. You kind of lose something when you have grandkids. You lose your scruples. You're just like, I mean, my car just diverts to toy stores and candy and all that stuff. I have a drawer in my office with candy, and after church, they all come. You know, and, and they'll tell me they love me, but they'll greet me for about a nanosecond, and then they're right over to the candy drawer. I don't care. I'll bribe them. That doesn't bother me. But the older ones, my oldest is 16, my oldest grandchild, and I just spent a week with him in the mountains, and we sat together early morning. I went down to the chow hall for, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning to, to have some coffee with my sons and sons-in-law, and, and my 16-year-old grandson came down there to listen to these men, and I keep thinking... What does he think about me? Does he see that I'm trying to pass on generational worship to him? Is that what he sees? Because that's what this tells me I should be concerned about. And so those are the privileges. If you fear God and you have a soft heart, God's going to pour grace on your work, which will supply and satisfy. He will pour grace on your companionship, which will increase the blessing and fruitfulness. And he's going to pour grace on the secure legacy that children get from you. And it begins now to hit the next generation. So the prerequisite of it is fear God and have a soft heart to his commandments, walk in his ways. The privileges are the, the blessing of fruitful labor, fruitful companionship, and fruitful relationships with your children, the next generation. Notice now as we finish the permanence of it, or we might say the perseverance of this blessing. Verse 5, the psalmist just breaks out in praise. The Lord bless you from Zion. This is their well wish. This is their prayer. The Lord bless you from Zion, the, the place of redemption, the center of redemption. The Lord pour out his grace upon you in redemption from the center. And may you see the advancement of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see the worship of God and his presence 
permeating society and community because of your family life. And indeed, may you see your children's children. What does that mean? Well, you remember the commandment was warning children, it will not go well with you on the earth if you don't honor your father and mother. Well, this is the prayer that, that you'll see your children and your children's children honoring the Lord and fearing God so that it goes well with them on the earth. And then, of course, the benediction, peace be upon Israel. The ultimate joy that comes when a man has gained the blessing of God upon his house is it brings flourishing to future generations. It brings flourishing to the future generations. That's powerful. That's what we should want. That's what we should pray for. You might be sitting there saying, I, I, I just, so many mistakes, too much water under the bridge, so difficult. I don't know how I could recover. That's just, I wasn't that. I, I should have been that, but I wasn't. I should have been more of that. Well, the scriptures tell us that God is always at work. So here you are sitting under the scriptures. You have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The first thing you have to do where you notice that you did not fear God the way you should is go to your children and your grandchildren and say that. Hey, um, the word of God says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, and I, I know there are areas and ways in my life where I did not do that. I should have, but I didn't. And I want you to know that I trust the Lord. He, he knows my heart, and he's teaching me even in older years. And so I want you to know that I'm, I acknowledge that I could remind you to do things better than I did them. Secondly, learn from the, the things we see where we're not quite what we ought to be. We learn from them. Become even more soft. It's such a precious thing when an older saint in the Lord is tenderized, not just because they, they've been through a lot of life, but they're tenderized by the scriptures. We have a men's group that meets at 6 a.m. on Tuesday morning, 6 to 7.30. We've been doing it since I've been at the church, 21 years. And the patriarch elder of our church, uh, Roy, he's with the Lord now as of about five years ago, but I miss Roy. Roy uh, died in his 90s, but when I got to the church, he, his mother was part and parcel as a prayer group to starting the church back in 1920, so it has a 100-year history just a couple years ago, but Roy would come to our morning six o'clock meeting. And he was all broken down, his body was all beat up, he's hunched over, he, he's got as many pains as any senior saint would have. But he would come and he would open his Bible, which was dog-eared, and he'd listen to me. I mean, I'm just a young buck to that guy. I'm nothing. He, he's heard more sermons than, than I've lived life, and and he knows more doctrine and theology than, than I knew, and he came on Tuesday mornings. And he would come up to me at the end almost every single time, but certainly most times. He would come up to me at the end, and he couldn't choke out what he wanted to say. He was so tearful. I would say, Roy, are you okay? And he would say, listen, brother. I wish I had another life to live for Christ because I didn't do half the stuff he just taught. I didn't do it well. I didn't serve the Lord well. And 
He didn't know this, but the net effect of that regular testimony from him of the tenderizing of the word of God through his mistakes, the net effect of it over time just crushed my pride and reminded me that the scriptures are a grace in our life, not only because they encourage us in the things we have been doing by the Spirit's power very well, and yet it also tenderizes us in our failures. So if you're a parent here or a grandparent who's just said, I don't fear the Lord like that, I haven't experienced the blessing of the Lord like that, the fruit is just not what I would have hoped, then tell your family that. That will be a powerful testimony. And then learn. Learn from it so that you can now be a new voice in their lives for the power and the grace of the gospel in their lives. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. God causes the growth. Amen? Lord, we thank you for this look at these two psalms. What a reminder to us how really in many ways how simple the truth is. It's just straightforward and simple. Fearing you is the beginning of wisdom. And at the same time, how difficult it is to look back at our mistakes and at times how thrilling it is to see the fruit and grace that you have poured out upon us in spite of us. And then the challenge that it is to look at these principles and push forward. Lord, help us to do that. Help this church and its young families to reap the benefits of those who are seasoned in the Lord, who have feared you for a lot of years. And may you pour out your grace upon Valley Bible Church and it's the men of this church, the women of this church, the young families, the children, particularly the leaders of this church. Pour out your grace upon them to see this truth passed on. Lord, give us your grace to do it. And we will trust you for it, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.